Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> Let's start. Ah, uh, I don't know. Being very meh, you know, meh, being very meh today. Don't know whether it's uh, like a weather thing. It's getting warmer, it's just nicer. Um, very productive today, therefore not, not freezing. But at the same time, oh, it's not quite the end of the week. It's... Uh, still almost there, but I don't know, very meh, meh, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, welcome to the Daily Bible Reading Show. Every day we read four different passages from the Bible. My name is Calvin. This is live from Cambridge here in the UK. And today we're looking at Genesis chapter 29, Matthew 10, 28, Esther 5, and Acts 28. Oh, so we're finishing Matthew and Acts. Cool. Okay. Um, I always feel like this at the end of January, near the end, and it's like, wow, you know, you covered so much Bible so far, but it's kind of tiring. Long books and long chapters. It's like, ah, uh, and, and don't get me wrong, it's not, not the length, it's not that you can't take it in, but you kind of like want to take your time and you don't want to rush it, uh, but at the same time, they're just so meaty and... Uh, I've been following this group on Facebook. Uh, it's by the Gospel Coalition, and everyone who's like doing this plan, they kind of read it together, and uh, other people contribute their their thoughts, and you know, some people write questions. There, are other people who do like podcasts as well, kind of like this, um, much better ones like <laughs> than this. So do check them out. Uh, but it's around this kind of time that people start going, "Hey, you know, this is." is pretty tough <laughs> there's a lot of bible and you realize you're no longer just starting something new you're moving into 2021 it's going to be february soon mm, yeah going to be very soon and you know you you kind of wonder you know can you keep this keep on going can you keep on going and i really have two thoughts about this you know on the one hand actually if it's too much i think it's kind of okay kind of like to drop a bit of it i think four chapters is a lot i mean it if you're just starting out well done you know for wanting to to try this you know it's, it's a huge undertaking and i'm sure it's beneficial but uh, i think that unnecessary pressure that, that's how i put it you know it's not a competition you don't have to do this kind of thing you don't have to do four chapters one chapter one chapter is fine or even just reading regularly and taking a break every now and then that's fine as well but this is admittedly quite relentless you miss one day and you have to catch them with four chapters you miss two you have to catch on eight and it's like crazy right um and often what i say to that uh, or at least this is what i do I, I just skip it i just carry on and read that particular day's allocation i just move on um that that's okay too but on the other hand, you know, there are so many benefits. I've got to say, you know, if you persist uh, and if you made it this far, I think you understand what I, what I mean. Uh, just having that overview, that big picture of the entire book of Acts, entire book of uh, Matthew, that kind of thing. And we've already done uh, Nehemiah and Ezra, and now we are into Esther. To be able to have, uh, to be able to connect the dots to see the big picture, that's just so helpful. You can almost go like Nehemiah is about this, Ezra is about this. And at the end of a book, like today we're gonna come to the end of the book, maybe I'll say something about what that whole book was about. And to be able to do that, just it's just so helpful. It helps you remember remember what the Bible is about, it helps you see how it links to Jesus. Meh. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, kind of random. Yeah, I should start. Okay, I'll, I will start. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much um, for the kind of perseverance and the kind of faithfulness that you give to us when we don't feel like carrying on. And when we feel meh or we feel tired or distracted or it's just really painful, you know, taking each step. Uh, Lord, thank you so much that um, at the end of the day, you know, it's by grace. 
You know, even our faith, it's by grace. Every step we take, it's um, by the empowerment of the grace that comes through your Holy Spirit. And I guess what I'm praying, what I'm asking for is for you to enable us just to take that next step, that one step to carry on in faithfulness, you know, in this journey, uh, just be able to see that a little bit more than we learned yesterday um, and just to grow. Thank you so much, Lord, that uh, this kind of growth is only you can do this. You know, um, it's all your work and it's all your plan. It's your kingdom. And we pray for your mercy. Please enable us to grow in Christ, to grow in love for your word. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 29. Oh, oh yeah, yeah uh, this Sunday, I am preaching at the Chinese church. <laughs> um, I haven't planned any of it yet. But this is what I do. I come up with I come up with the with the title, um, partly because you know the music team they have to choose the songs and they need to have a big idea theme. So my title for this Sunday sermon at the Chinese church is "Don't Go to Cambridge." <laughs> Seriously, that that is the title. And one Corinthians chapter two verses six to sixteen it compares two kinds of wisdom. There is the wisdom of the smart. Wisdom of this age, the wisdom of the rulers, but also the wisdom that comes through the spirit—a very different kind of wisdom. It's not saying that this is like this and this is better, but it's a very different kind completely. And therefore, when I say don't go to Cambridge, there's a bit of seriousness there. You know, sometimes we think just because you know Christians from Cambridge, just because a church is based in Cambridge, therefore they will be smarter. They will be more wisdomy. Obviously not. Uh, obviously, I mean, uh, you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean uh, that they uh, that they're more all together. They know the Bible better. That kind of thing. And oftentimes, what you find is the opposite. You know, the wisdom of this age, the wisdom of the rulers. It's the kind of wisdom that says it's okay to crucify Jesus. It's the kind of wisdom that rejects the gospel and. I think we need to have eyes to see how the places where there is the most wisdom, the most smartest people, is often the most sinful. They're often the most justified in their sins. I'll put it that way. They misuse their brains. Uh, that's a term that we used to have back in school for the smartest kids, who kind of like you thought, you know, this guy has a future in crime. <laughs> They're just so smart, and um, but they would often use it as a way of getting into trouble. Um, being popular, um, doing all kinds of really, really cool but really naughty things, and I can think of some really good friends who did that. Uh, but that kind of wisdom is not the Bible's wisdom, which is not from us. It's by the Spirit. That means it's outside of us. It's by revelation. It's not something that we intuit, but you know, it's given to us. And I think the most important point I want to get to is that. It's not just the people who speak and teach and preach the Bible who have this wisdom, but God has given it to us so that we can understand, we can hear, and we can obey. It's more a wisdom that allows us to understand what God has said to us, rather than the kind of skill that you learn in order to become a minister or a pastor or a minister. No, it's not that. It's it's almost a prerequisite for being a Christian. If you understand the gospel at all, you have this wisdom. Because you have the Spirit, and because it comes through Jesus, so that's actually that's kind of I should just preach that. I should just give that as a sermon on Sunday. But no, I, I'll write it out. You know, have it properly planned out and practiced, and so that's the plan for Sunday. On to Genesis chapter whatever twenty nine. Okay, here we go. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the children of the east. He looked and saw a well in the field. And saw three flocks of sheep lying by it, for out of that well they watered the flocks. The stone on the well's mouth was large; there were all the flocks. There all the flocks were gathered. They rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the sheep, and put the stone back on the well's mouth in its place. Jacob said to them, "My relatives, where are you from?" They said, "We are from Haran." He said to them, "Do you know Laban, 
the son of Nahor. They said, "We know him." He said to them, "Is it well with him?" They said, "It is well." See, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, "Behold, it is still the middle of the day. Not time to gather the livestock together, water the sheep, and go and feed them." They said, "We can't until all the flocks are gathered together, and they roll the stone from the well's mouth. Then we will water." The sheep. While he was yet speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. When Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother,、uh, Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. She ran and told her father. When Laban heard the news of Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet Jacob and embraced him and kissed him. And there's a lot, lot of kissing in this, in this、uh, chapter. And brought him to his house. <laughs> Jacob told Laban all these things. Laban said to him. Surely you are my bone and my flesh. Jacob stayed with him for a month. Laban said to Jacob, "Because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what will your wages be?" Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and attractive. Uh, Jacob loved Rachel. He said, "I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter." Laban said, "It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me." Jacob served seven years for Rachel. They seemed to him but a few days, but for the love he had for her, Jacob said to Laban, "Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her." Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. In the evening, he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob. He went into her. Laban gave Zilpah, his servant, to his daughter Leah for a servant. In the morning, behold, it was Leah. <laughs> he said to Laban, "What is this you've done to me? Didn't I serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me?" Laban said, "It is not done so in our place to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill the week of this one; we will give you the other also for the service which you will serve with me for seven more years." Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. He gave Rachel his daughter as wife. Laban gave Bilhah his servant to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. He went in also to Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him seven more years. Yahweh saw that Leah was hated,、oh, and he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. Leah conceived and bore a son, and named him Reuben, for she said, "Because Yahweh has looked at my affliction, for now my husband will love me."、Uh, she conceived again and bore a son, and. She said, "Because Yahweh has heard that I'm hated, He therefore has given me this son also." She named him Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son. She said, "Now this time my son, my husband will be joined to me because I bore him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi." She conceived again and bore a son. She said, "This time I will praise Yahweh." Therefore she named him Judah. When、uh, she stopped bearing. Just, just want to look up.、Uh, I know that Reuben uh, uh, means seen,、uh, see a son. Yeah, see a son, Reuben. So see, see a son.、Uh, let's see,、uh, Simeon, Shema. So here, so Yahweh has heard me. And then Levi, Levi, I think means attach, join. That the idea is being joined. Judah, I should know this, and that should be,、uh, that should be the. Judah means praise. <laughs> yes, of course. So then I will praise Yahweh. So praise Judah.、Uh, yeah.、Um, 
then she stopped bearing. But you see、um, layers,、uh, the stages of her grief and of her hatred by her own husband. It's so bad, and it's reflected in the names of her sons. And you know she、uh, cries out to God again and again. You know God has seen me. God has heard me. Now maybe my husband will be, will be attached to me. But finally she goes. You know what? Now, now I will praise God. And that kind of journey through anguish of being rejected and unloved, but finally realizing that all this while God loves you. I think that's a very very special journey. That we see in Leah's life through her childbirth,、uh, Rachel, on the other hand, was barren. You know, she couldn't have children, and but she was loved by Jacob. And Jacob, he he worked seven years just to marry this love of his life. It's amazing. The first time he sees her, he cries. The kissing, I understand. You know, he 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 goes to this foreign country. And if you remember, his dad and his mom said, "You know, go to the country, find find、um, a wife." And he's supposed to find a wife who is a daughter of Laban. You know, his mother, mother's sister Laban, and、uh, mother's brother. Sorry, <laughs> Laban. And so Rachel is the daughter of Laban. And when he sees her, you know, he does the macho thing. You know, pulls out, pushes, ah,、oh, pushes the. The 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 stone away and flexes his muscle. Hey, have a drink. And then, and then she's a shepherdess. And Rachel means ewe lamb.、Uh, very suitable. It's almost like、uh, having a cowboy named Moo, I don't know, <laughs> or a chicken herder named.、Uh, I'm tired. Anyway, Rachel's name means ewe lamb, and she's a shepherdess, and she's surrounded by lambs, and and. Jacob helps to water the lambs, and he's so so you know he's he kisses her and he cries, and then and then、uh, when his uncle finds out he's arrived, he runs to him and he kisses him, and so lo- lots of affection, and lots of like、uh, probably violence playing in the background. Ah,、oh, my nephew, good to see you again, my sister's son, that kind of thing. But in the middle of it, you know, Jacob gets tricked. You know Jacob. Remember his name is Trickster. He's the con man, the original con man in the Bible. But he gets conned because he thinks that he's worked seven years, and to him it feels like just a few days. He loved Rachel so much. He works for seven years, and then on his wedding night, he ends up marrying Leah, the older sister. And he wakes up, and it's 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 so the way the way they put it here, verse seven in the morning. Uh, sorry, uh, the other one. Be, tw- verse twenty-five. In the morning, behold, it was Leah. It's behold me, dun dun dun. <laughs> in the morning, he woke up. Huh? Who are you? <gasps> Leah. I thought I married your sister. Can you imagine how it must have felt for Leah? You know, number one for a for a dad to kind of like marry her off in secret, and to be thought of as you know less than her sister. And then to be woken up in the morning by your husband saying, "Who are you? I didn't marry you." But in the end, he you know he gets conned and he serves another seven years. This this Laban is it's even more chenga. Even even he he's even his his con man powers are even more powerful <laughs> than Jacob. And so Jacob works fourteen years for his uncle to marry the love of his life. And also to get this one plus one deal, he has to marry this other wife, which he doesn't love. He doesn't show affection to, and that's the way it ends. You know, this wife who keeps crying out to God, crying out to God, who gives her children, and she names the children. God has heard me. God has seen me. Maybe God will now. My husband will will be will love me. But in the end, she comes to the point, and she realizes, you know what? God loves me. I will praise God, and I think that's.、Um, Uh, until we continue on tomorrow, I think just looking at Leah,、um, realizing that she is loved by God, even though she isn't by someone whom she really wishes she was by her own husband,、um, and being able to praise God because of this, I think it's 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 a turning point in your faith and your relationship with God when you realize that. All you're really looking for is God, 
you know, up to this point, she's hoping that God will give her something that will make her feel fulfilled, feel loved, you know, feel like a wife. Um, but finally, she 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 praises uh, praises God, and then it says, then she start bearing. And she she didn't feel the need to compete anymore. Although actually she kind of does in the end. You know, she uses her uh, maidservant, uh, whatever her name was. What was what was the name of the other maidservant? It's already so anticlimax. Um, da da da. Laban Zilpa. Yeah, that's in the next chapter. And Bilha was given to Rachel. Yeah. Okay. Genesis chapter twenty nine. Rachel and Leah and Jacob being conned. <laughs> okay, let's move on to the next chapter, Matthew chapter 28. Last chapter of Matthew's gospel. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from the sky and came and rolled away the stone from the door and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. The angel answered the women, "Don't be afraid. Oh, excuse me. Don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just like he said. Come and see the place where the Lord was li lying." Hmm. Uh, those peanut cookies that I made yesterday. I, I was, I've been trying to make Chinese New Year cookies, and I made peanut butter cookies, and essentially it's just eating peanut butter. <laughs> okay, verse seven. Go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead, and behold, he goes before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I've told you. They departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to bring his disciples' word. As they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! They came and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers that they should go into Galilee, and there they will find me. they will see me. Now while they were still going, behold, some of the guards came into the city and told the chief priests all the things that had happened. When they, had, when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave a large amount of silver to the soldiers, saying, Say that his disciples came by night and stole him away while we, we slept. If this comes to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and make you free of worry. So they took the money and did as they were told. This saying was spread abroad among the Jews and continues until today. But the eleven disciples went into Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had sent them. When they saw him, they bowed down to him, but some doubted. Jesus came to them and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. Cool. So first day of the week, after the Sabbath, the first day of the week, uh, we had a Bible study this week. And uh, someone asked, actually, why is it that uh, we meet on Sundays uh, on the first day of the week? And this is why. Um, to commemorate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Traditionally, you know, all the synagogues, you know, uh, all the Jews would gather on the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, the day of rest. And that makes sense because God created the world in six days and he rested on the seventh day. It's a holy day. But rising on the first day, it's rising on this resurrection day, it means there is this new creation. You know, this, this new life that has come through Jesus Christ. And therefore, every time we meet on Sunday, we remember the resurrection. Not just on Easter, by the way. So every Sunday, every time we gather, what you're doing is you're remembering, hey, this is a new start. This is a new life that has come through the risen Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so first day of the week, uh, Mary Magdalene and another Mary <laughs> came to see, uh, come to, came to the tomb. And, you know, lots of big, big things happen. You know, great earthquake, angel descending. The, the guards were like frozen, stiff, like dead men. And so the angel speaks to these women, women. All of the gospels record how women were the first eyewitnesses of the gospel, of, of the resurrection, sorry, of the empty tomb, of the angels, of the events, as if God intentionally wanted these women to be the first um, witnesses. And the, the significance of this is that no one would have chosen women in the in the ancient world, you know, because women's uh, women weren't considered in a trustworthy. I this is just the way it was. I mean, obviously, it isn't the way today, but it just shows how preposterous it is that if you were to make something up, obviously, you'll get Peter or John. You know, all these leaders of the church respected. You know, to, no, he chose these women who would be doubted who themselves are described as being afraid. You know, these are skeptical, fearful women who would not be believed, who were chosen by God said, you will be my first witnesses. And he encourages them as well. You know, as they were running back to tell the disciples, Jesus himself meets them almost to give them that added encouragement. They were looking for him. He appears to them and says, rejoice, you know, be comforted, you know, be encouraged. And he just gives them a second reminder. So the angel gives the first reminder, go and tell the disciples. Jesus then meets them and says, go and tell my brothers. And so twice they're told to tell the brothers to go to Galilee, the original place of ministry for Jesus. And yeah, and um, yeah, okay, all right. So uh, then we shift to the guards. Remember the guards, they see all this, but they're like, they're like frozen. So when they finally come around, I don't know, they unfreeze themselves. They run back to the chief priest and they said, oh, you know, all this thing happened. Everything, everything here. So it's not just that there was this and being told everything that happened. And what the religious leaders say is that cover it up, cover it up. Say that the disciples came at night, stole the body and we'll give you money and we'll tell the governor not to kill you <laughs> because that's the thing you see if you lose this you know you, you lose your life so we'll we'll appease the governor we'll make we'll make it worth your while but spread this account there that's why verse 15 this this saying was spread around this account that his body was stolen now the significance of this is to say that you know even those who did not believe in the resurrection you know were trying to come up with an excuse and if the best excuse they could come up with was that someone stole the body because they couldn't produce the body. You see, that's, that's the significance of the empty tomb. That's why, that's why the angel says, come and see the place where you lay. Come and see the tomb. It's because the best way of debunking Christianity from the beginning, and everyone had motivation to do this, was just to produce the body. <laughs> And and remember, the guards themselves were at the tomb. You know, it, it's so crazy that a bunch of women could have overpowered the guards and stuff. You know, that's why they said the disciples. But, you know, it's so implausible that if they really wanted to 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 debunk this theory that they wouldn't produce the, the body, that they then come up with this then second-rate excuse. They stole the body and they couldn't find it. Uh, but again, contrast this with with the actual occurrences that actually were women. Women were their first witnesses. So again, if if the disciples wanted to debunk this this theory, the best way they would say is, oh, Peter saw Jesus, or the first witnesses were all these men. But no, uh, the, the first witnesses were almost just as ridiculous and implausible as this one. And it only goes to show that, you know, you can't, you can't make this up. <laughs> no one, if they sat down to write this picture-perfect kind of like storytelling about God coming to become man, they wouldn't make him die on the cross. And they wouldn't make him rise and then have, you know, uh, these women then tell the story of his resurrection. Yeah, so that's the beginning. By the end of it, all the disciples, they go to Galilee in obedience to the command that Jesus gave and the angels gave to them. And they go to the mountain 
And here they bow down and worship him, but some doubt it. And some doubt it. And so we see running throughout this account again, even with the witnesses, are people who are fearful and doubtful. The first witnesses, I mean, these are the first Christians. They are, that means as they are bowing down to Jesus, they're going, Is it really him? Are you sure? I don't know. You know, even as they could see him with his eyes. But that's meant to be encouraging because, you know, it isn't just this clear cut thing. You know, they still had to see how the pieces fit together. Jesus still had to give them of his spirit. He had to be with them. He had to show them how the pieces fit together. And I think it's meant to mirror then how we could come to faith. If you're reading this for the first time and you're thinking, you know what, this this is this is great and everything, but I think I still need to think about it. I still need to take it in. That's the disciples. That's where they're at, even as they're at the feet of Jesus. You know, the Bible gives you so much room to really come to that conviction, to really know with certainty that this is truth. So, so be encouraged if you're not all the way there yet. But even if you are, it's encouraging you to say, look again, look again, investigate again, be really sure and keep on reading your Bible so that you will assure you and remind you that, you know, you were at that point, you were at that point of doubt at the first place. And it was only God who had brought you all the way to really trust Jesus. And you still have more to go, further to go. And really, you could be trusting even him even more. So keep reading the Bible. Um, here, some doubted Jesus came to them. And here's what's often called the Great Commission. You know, go into all the earth, baptizing uh, the nations, you know, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the, and the Holy Spirit. But it begins by saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. And this is significant because it happens only now. You know, Jesus has always been the Son of God. Jesus has always been, you know, in a sense, God's Son. You know, he's always been God himself. But because he died, because he rose again, therefore all authority has been given to him. It's because of his obedience and his kind of like coronation that comes through the cross. He is fulfilled filled all the expectations of the Old Testament. Therefore, God has given him all this authority and this authority, therefore, to save, but also to judge. And therefore, Jesus now comes to them with this fullness of his glory and his authority and his position as Christ and his Savior, as Lord. And therefore, Jesus says, now go and make disciples. And this idea is that go and actually the 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 main thrust is not just go out and go there but actually make disciples you know help bring people into the kingdom and literally um, um, this is i don't know Mathetheosati, you know, it's it's where we get the word for mathematics <laughs> it's actually make students of all nations and already that kind of idea of make students it has that element of teaching of telling them something they didn't know before, helping them grow in that knowledge. You know, therefore, there's an element of the gospel when you make people disciples. And of all nations, not just your nation, remember, they're all Jewish, but go into all the earth and every nation, baptizing them. And this is in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It means uh, bringing them into the kingdom. They're his. And they almost have, baptizing, it's, on the one hand, it's almost like a mark of a Christian, you know, like a chop, <laughs> a trademark. But on the other hand, baptizing them is significant because you're identifying with Jesus' death and resurrection. When you're baptized, you go into water. Baptized just means immerse, put into water. So you go into water, that symbolizes your death, like you're going to the ground, you're dying. And then when you rise up again out of the water, therefore, you're coming out unto new life. And therefore, it's what makes that possible is, be is because of God the power of the Father, the Son, of the, and of the Holy Spirit. And again, in the name and therefore in the authority, it's God whose His authority and His power and His salvation has enabled you to come into this new life. And then again, teaching them. And teaching them to ob observe, but actually moreover to obey everything that I've commanded you. I think some translations have that as well. So it's not just look, observe. Oh yeah, that's really interesting. But no, this is something that we are meant to obey because he is Lord. 
And because everything that God has, speaks to us, He commands us. There is something that calls for a response. It's not so much to do something, but to respond to God's word each time. And the best way, to, the best thing to do, and the most important thing to do, is to respond with faith. I will trust that God has said this, and I will give of it my life and my all. And then the last, the last verse in Matthew's gospel is actually almost the key verse of the entire gospel. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That means as you do this, as that's that's the idea of behold. You know, hey, you know, as you preach the gospel, as you bring people into the kingdom, as you as you as you experience this power of the Spirit working through you through the gospel, through the preaching of the gospel, through evangelism, and through the coming together of the church, I am with you. Jesus' presence is seen in the preaching of the gospel. And in the coming together and the forming of the church around the gospel, around His Word, and the reason why I say that this is like the main theme running through the book of Matthew is because remember Matthew is where we learn that Jesus. Uh, okay, right. Where where do you find that? I think Jesus's name uh, is He is Emmanuel. Uh, da, 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 is it? Oh no, it's chapter one, isn't it? <laughs> I've forgotten already. Oh, so. So, so Emmanuel, because God is with us. So that's Jesus's name in the beginning of the Bible. God is going to be with you. How is God going to be with you? Yes, in Jesus, you know, He came as a man and He lived with us. But Jesus is now giving this promise now to the very end of the age, because Jesus is in heaven. He isn't here on earth anymore. How else can Jesus still be with us in God? He's with us in the gospel, as you. Fulfill this great commission, Jesus says, "I will be God with you." And the turning point to this, you know, Jesus with us, God with us, His presence with us, dwelling in us. That turning point is actually a couple of verses, a couple of chapters ago. I think is it chapter twenty-six during the crucifixion, uh, when when Jesus is crucified and He says, "Do do do, where are we?" Um, uh, sorry, next chapter. Yesterday's chapter. So right at the very end, hold on. It it is it is worthwhile. Let me let me just say this is worthwhile noticing this because this really helps us come together, and to see. So Jesus, when he was crucified, he cried out in a loud voice, "Eli, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani?" That means, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" That means for the only time in his life, on the cross. God is not with Jesus. So, in order for Jesus to be with us, God has to forsake Jesus on the cross. And because God had forsaken Jesus on the cross, therefore Jesus, through His Spirit and by the gospel and God Himself, can be with us to the very end of the age. That's Matthew's gospel, and that's Matthew chapter twenty-eight. Cool. Okay. All right. Let's move on to Esther chapter five. Okay. How are we doing for time? Six o eight. What time do we start? Half an hour ago. Yeah. Rambling a lot today, so I <laughs> lost track of time. Okay. All right. Esther chapter five. Let me take some water. Hmm. 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 Now. On the third day, Esther put on her royal clothing and stood in the inner court of the king's house, next to the king's house. The king sat on his royal throne in the royal house, next to the entrance of the house. When the king saw Esther, the queen, standing in the court, she obtained favor in his sight, and the king held out. To Esther, the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther came near and touched the top of the scepter. Then the king asked her, "What would you like, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even to the half of the kingdom." Esther said, "If it seems good to the king, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I have prepared for him." Then the king said, "Bring Haman quickly, so that it may be done as Esther had said." So the king and Haman came to the banquet that Esther had prepared. The king said to Esther at the banquet of wine, "What is your petition? It shall be granted you. What is your request? Even up, 
even to half of the kingdom it shall be performed. Then Esther answered and said, My petition and my request is this If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and to perform my request, let the king and Haman come to the banquet that I will prepare for them, and I will do tomorrow as the king has said. Tomorrow, tomorrow. Then Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. I'll say that. No, but when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he didn't stand up nor move for him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. <sighs> Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. There he sent and called for his friends and Zeresh, his wife. Haman recounted to them the glory of his riches, the multitude of his. <laughs> children, all the things in which the king had promoted him and how he advanced him above the princes and servants of the king. Haman also said, yes, Esther the queen, let no man come in with the king to the banquet that she had prepared but myself. And tomorrow I am also invited by her together with the king. Yet all this avails me nothing. So long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. <laughs> Then Zeresh's wife and all his friends said to him, Let gallows be made 50 cubits high. How long is 50 cubits? Does it tell us here? 50 cubits, 40 cubit is from the length tip of the middle finger to the elbow in a man's arm. So 18 inches. So 50 times 18 inches. How much is that? A lot. Very, very high. <laughs> yeah. So this huge, huge gallows. And in the morning, speak of it to the king about hanging Mordecai on it. Then go in merrily with the king to the banquet. This pleased Haman, so he had the gallows made. Talk about suspense. Wow, you know, this is, you know, almost made for TV. Yeah, I, you know, they have like a cliffhanger yesterday. All the people are going to be killed. And Esther says, okay, if I perish, I perish. I'm going to see the king. And I know that if I see him without any excuse or permission, he's going to kill me unless he gives me a pardon so if i perish if i die i die so there's a suspense but then we have that filler episode in between and it, like nothing seems to be happening like why are they just like eating and drinking in this whole episode you could just like skip 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 to the next episode it's like what they do in tv right just to get people hooked and to get the ratings up that kind of thing um yeah but, but there's a reason for this. I, th I think there are some lessons here. So, so after three days, on the third day, it means after they've been fasting for three days, then Esther puts her plan into motion. And she is really taking her time. So she, first of all, appears at the entrance of the palace, which is outside and then in this next hall. And then the king saw her. And up to this point, you know, she could have been killed. You know, she's not supposed to be there. That's that's the idea of this description of the king's house and next to the king's house and by the entrance, that kind of thing. She's not even supposed to be there. You know, it's against the law. But then somehow the king goes, Hey, Esther, how are you doing? And then that's why he has to, he has, it's not just, hey, you know, check out my nice scepter. You know, it's cool. I got it from Gucci or something like that. But no, unless he does this, she'll be killed. It's a sign of pardon. You've done something wrong. I'm going to pardon you because, you know, I feel like it today. I'm such a good, gracious king. He isn't. But anyway, that's what he does. He said, would you, what would you like? And he makes this very bold, very gracious thing. I'll give you up to half of my kingdom. And the idea is that, he doesn't, it's kind of like the thing that you say, you know, to show just how magnanimous you are. Because otherwise, Esther would say, oh, really? You said one, right? You say you're going to give me half the kingdom? Oh, please, can you save me? This Haman is a terrible guy. Kill him. She doesn't do that. He says it twice. He said, up to half of my kingdom. You know, what do you want? So she keeps delaying it and taking her time. And in the first instance, he just, she just says, come to dinner and bring Haman. So that's the thing, you know, if it seems good to the king, come for this banquet and bring Haman as well. And the king says, okay, bring him immediately. But at this point, remember that Haman's like prime minister. So it kind of makes sense, you know, that Esther wants Haman to come to this banquet. <coughs> that is really just the king and Haman herself. So Haman's pretty, feeling pretty good about himself at that day. Uh, because at the end of the banquet, uh, when the... When the king says, what else do you want? He says, oh, I'm going to have another banquet. Please come back again to banquet 2.0. 
and the idea is that it's going to be even better there's going to be even more suspense and I think what this does is Esther is really taking her time to gain back the favor of the king she knows that um, I don't know I, I actually I don't I, I, I take that back I'm, I'm not sure maybe she's praying maybe she knows that you can't rush this uh, in the same way that she took three days first to uh, pray and to fast so I think she has obviously planned this out in her mind and she's just executing it but she isn't in a rush and there is a kind of patience and godly trust that we see running like an undercurrent behind all these plans well switch the camera now to Cayman and the rest of the story is about Haman who's you know, just had this meal and he is, you know, feeling pretty good about himself until he sees Mordecai by the gate. And that Mordecai, oh, I hate him. That's, that's why he's going, oh, I hate him. He don't pay me to me. Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't give me the honor that I deserve. <laughs> and, and so what he does is so ridiculous. Again, it looks like this is perfect for TV. He, 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 Thing to he restrained himself and he goes back home and he calls all his friends and his wife together and he starts boasting and he boasts about the glory of his riches. He said, Look at my bank account, see how much money I have. The multitude of his children. Now, by the way, if you have a lot of children and you boast in front of your wife, hey, look at how many children I have. His wife is going, Yes, look at how many children you have. <laughs> And also all the things that the king had given him. You know, how he was the most powerful guy. You know, it's like, it's not just that he had this privilege. It's almost as if I deserved this. Compared to all these other losers, all these other princes, I am number one. I am the man. He's feeling pretty good about himself. And especially, you know, Esther, she did not invite any other man except me. I am the man. And yet, the moment I see that Mordecai Jew's face, you know, I lose it. You know, my anger is burning inside of me. And here is someone, you know, for all the blessing and position that he has, he is so insecure. That, that's the thing. Um, and so petty and just so vindictive. And I wonder, you know, if this, this, this actually might be a product, byproduct of all this glory and all this multitude of children and all this blessing. And there's something about the human heart that we we can't deal with this kind of abundant blessing that's just i think it's not just Haman. i wonder i wonder if you got that promotion that you wanted you won the lottery that's a good example right i mean you win the lottery and you read all these stories about people who win the lottery what happens next you know they fall out with their family um uh they they buy stuff that they don't need just so just because they can and they just feel this urge to splurge and to show everyone just how lucky they are and somewhere along the line they think i deserve this you know what i got this because i deserve this and if like one of your friends just goes hey you don't you know you're you're just like us you're a nobody i mean anyone could have won the lottery and the moment you go you you feel that way you feel oh that anger how dare you disrespect me you know i am number one i have all this money i have all these children (laughs) how dare you look down on me i look down on you and that's Haman. but what pleases him is this suggestion by his wife and this is again so over the top he says build this huge gallows i think it's like something to hang you on this huge thing and and make it really obvious and she says go to the king and get the king to hang Mordecai and hang on him and and again here is him thinking that he can manipulate the king to do anything you know I I don't like that guy I'll just tell the king king kill the kill him and he he's so confident that he builds it straight away that that night he just he just made it that same day so confident that the next day everything is going to go according to his plan everything has been going well in his life it must continue on in that trajectory what do we see here contrast between uh, esther and um Haman. yeah esther you know i think displays true trust in god but because of that you know she is cautious and i suspect prayerful and just very very mindful about 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 I think I think it almost re- 
reflects in her attitude of graciousness. I mean, she needs grace just to approach the king. She needs grace just to take that next step, that next step, that next step. And I think if you're at all someone who trusts God and who has that full trust in God's sovereignty, that might be closer to what faithfulness looks like. You know, they're taking step and step at a time. Compared to this impulsive, vindictive, me, 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 I'm in charge, I'm the flavor of the day kind of like Haman's approach, whereby anything I do will work. Anything that I feel like doing, I have the power to do it. You know, nothing can be denied me. And I think that there is this contrast between these two characters. And ultimately, we see it, I think, even in, in Jesus, you know, when he was facing, you know, the charge of the Jews, you know, he. He, he was silent, <laughs> trusting God every step of the way. And not even, you know, not even that at the end. You know, him living all those years in obedience to his family, you know, just living a quiet life. No one knew who Jesus was until he stepped out into the limelight into ministry. And so Jesus, by and large, left a really step-by-step -step obedient life that displays his full trust in the Father. And you can't get more trusting than Jesus. And so again, contrast with Haman, who just wants it immediately, you know, this quick fix and a quick vindictiveness because he has that power, that position, that, that ability to do so. Pride, power, position, pride, sweet peace. There you go. <laughs> okay, let's go to our last uh, reading for today. Uh, and it's 621. Let's go. Acts 28. Please be short. Is it short? It's kind of, it's, it's kind of okay. Yeah. But it's the, it's the last book, so we we have to give it the attention that it deserves. Acts chapter twenty-eight. So this is after the shipwreck; they were crashed on the shore, and then the the centurion says, "Everyone, swim for your lives. Go to the shore." And then this is chapter twenty-eight. When we had escaped, then they learned that the island was called Malta. The natives showed us uncommon kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us all because of the present rain and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on a fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, uh, whom, though he has escaped from the sea, yet justice has not allowed to live. However, he shook off the creature into the fire and wasn't harmed. Um, but they expected that he would have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. But when they watched for a long time and saw nothing bad happen to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. <laughs> How extreme. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and courteously entertained us for three days. The father of Publius lay sick of fever and dysentery. Paul entered into him, prayed, laying his hands on him, healed him. Then when this was done, the rest also who had diseases in the island came and were cured. They also honored us with many honors. And when we sailed, they put on board the things that we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship of Alexandria where they wintered in the island whose sign was the Twin Brothers. Touching at Syracuse, we stayed there three days. From there, we circled around and arrived at Regium. After one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Puteoli, where we found brothers and were entreated to stay with them for seven days. So we came to Rome. From there, the brothers, when they heard of us, came to meet us as far as the market of Appius and the three taverns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. When we entered into Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier who guarded him. After three days, Paul called together those who were the leaders of the Jews. When they had come together, he said to them, I, brothers, though I had done nothing against the people or the customs of our fathers, still was delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, desired to set me free, because there was no cause of death in me. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was constrained to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had anything about which to accuse my nation. For this cause, therefore, I asked 
to see you and to speak to you, for because of the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. They said to him, We neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor did any of the brothers come here and report or speak any evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think, for as concerning this sect, it is known to us that everywhere it's spoken against. When he had appointed him a day, many people came to him at his lodging. He explained to them, testifying about God's kingdom and persuading them concerning Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Some believed the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. When they didn't agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had spoken one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, In hearing you will hear, but in no way understand. In seeing you will see, but in no way perceive. For this people's heart has grown callous, their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and would turn again, and I would heal them. Be it known therefore to you that the salvation of God is sent to the nations, and they will listen. When he had said these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves. Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house and received all who were coming to him, preaching God's kingdom and teaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, without hindrance. And that is Acts. Acts chapter, and all that's how it ends. Paul in Rome uh, speaking uh, to this bunch of Jewish leaders in his house because he's under house arrest. He can't go out to them, to the synagogue, so they come to him. And essentially, a lot of people come to him at, in this chapter. That's kind of like a theme. So he is here in Malta. There are a lot of people who gather around him. They think, oh, you know, he's going to die because there's this <laughs> snake wrapped around him. And, but no, he doesn't die. They wait a really, really long time wait, waiting for this show going, justice. But no, nothing happens. <laughs> and then they call him a god. You know, that, that's just how, uh, how extreme it was. But really, he stayed there, and then he hangs out with this guy named Publius. He he heals his dad, and when they hear, "Hey, this Paul," you know, he healed Publius's dad of dysentery, of this fever, and then they start bringing him all all the sick people in the island, and he healed them, and um, and then they liked him, and this one. It, I, I'm not sure whether it means that they became Christians. I think it means that Paul um, would have preached the gospel to them. As part of doing this, but it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't quite say that. But I think again that theme that people were drawn to Paul, and God was still bringing people to him, and he was just responding with grace and with, uh, with healing. Yeah, we'll come back to this. Come back to this. Yeah. Finally, he reaches Rome, and so the thing is when he. The thing is, the journey there is suddenly really, really smooth. Now, you need to remember that things were really bad yesterday's chapter. They went out and this wind came, they went out, and then they were stuck there. They didn't know how, how, how long they were there, where they were. And finally, when they were getting close to shore, they thought they were going to sh crash. So everything was against them. Suddenly now, they go here, oh, it's fine. Three days, and then boom, they could reach in the other day, bang, bang, bang. They re they, it's like suddenly everything has changed. There's so much favor now just pushing Paul along, inching him along all the way to Rome. And when he gets there, he meets two groups of people initially, two groups of Christian brothers. And so by brothers, he means Christians. And so they hear that he's there, so they, they go and meet him. So firstly, and uh, they, they pitioli and then say, oh, hey, I heard, I heard that you're a Christian. So they meet him there and uh, say, stay with us. And so he stayed with them and they ate food with them and then hang, hung out with them. They reach Rome, another group of brothers. They came down and looked for him. And they said, hey, Paul, you know, I heard you're coming. And he wrote the book of Romans, the letter of Romans, sorry. This was, would have been at least two and a half, three years ago because he was in prison at a point of time. So he wrote it before that. So they, they knew who he was already. And so they came down and they came to meet him and to greet him. And so he was really, I mean, what a change. Now he's surrounded by Christians and he's really praising God for them. And he was, and here this verse, it says he took courage. Now don't discount this. I think the reason why it says here he thanked God and took courage was because I think up until this point, I suspect 
Paul was kind of discouraged. You remember, he'd spent two plus years in prison. You know, he'd just been shipwrecked.、Um, you know, people were calling him God, and all this misunderstanding. And you know, and finally, finally, when he reached there. Um, he's finally reaching this point whereby he's going to fulfill God's mandate of preaching to the ends of the earth, i.e., to Caesar and to in Rome. But there is nothing like you know having a bunch of brothers、uh, who are like-minded, who love you, you know, just care for you and coming coming to you and encourage you. And that's the thing, you know, Paul is going there to encourage them, but here they come and encourage him. Don't don't discount that Paul for all his. You know, gifts and all the mission is given to him. You know, even he, even he needs encouragement from brothers. You know, being able to stay with them for seven days. All these guys coming all the way there just to meet him along the way, and he really took courage from that.、And、I think that spurred him to get this next win to go and preach the gospel. So when he finally reached Paul, you know, there was a lot of grace because the other prisoners, you know, they handed over, you know, prison. Uh, but he, he, you know, he could. He had his own home. He had rented home, and he just had to have this attendant, this guard there, to make sure that he didn't go from vacay and run away or something like that. But you know, that's why he could have people. Anyone could come to him. He received them. The first group of people he received were these Jews, and you know, this is almost customary of Paul. Anywhere he goes, he just wants to. He, he wants to do his best to reach his own people. He knows they're going to reject him. He knows there's going to be this, you know, an animosity. Then they start out initially okay. So、oh, we haven't heard anything about you, so we haven't really made any judgment about you. And he he was worried about that. He he said, you know, he's trying to. He says, I haven't. I don't have any kind of like,、uh, what's the word for it? I I don't have any hatred for you. And I'm here because I'm just appealing to Caesar. I had no choice about this, but I don't hold any grudge. That's the word I'm looking for. I don't have have a grudge. I'm not trying to accuse my nation by standing before Caesar. But,、uh, but they said, oh, you know, you know, it's okay, it's okay.、Um, we didn't hear any about this bad news. Please, can you tell us on another day what it is that you are all about? About you know this gospel, about this mission that you have about Jesus. And so that's what they do. They come back again, and this time when he explained to them, testifying about God's kingdom, persuading them about Jesus, showing them from their own laws, Moses, morning till evening. So he spent the whole day with them. Yes, some believed. But as expected, I think the the response of Paul shows that generally they rejected him. Generally, as leaders, they felt as if they they couldn't take this in, and he was kind of disappointed. He said the Holy Spirit、uh, spoke rightly, and this is Isaiah chapter six, and the idea is the fulfillment of Isaiah's ministry to preach the gospel to people who will just be hardened by this gospel. The more you preach, the more they will reject it. The more you speak, the more they will cover their eyes, because if they had actually responded, God would respond with salvation, with healing. And so, therefore,、uh, this just fulfills God's mission again for Paul to go to the nations. And here, remember, nations means other nations aside from J- Jewish nation, all to the ends of the of the earth. God's gospel and salvation and kingdom has come to everyone, especially those who haven't yet received it. And it's because of their rejection. So he's almost giving them like notice. Okay, you guys need to know that it's your rejection in part that's propelling this, this gospel, this mission. And that's how it ends. Kind of, it ends with this, you know, disagreement. But then Paul spending two years, and then after that, carrying on preaching the kingdom, teaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness, without any. Problems without any hindrances. Why does it end this way? Now, you know, a more satisfying end to this book would be Jesus saying, "You appear before Caesar, you preach before Caesar, and Paul standing before Caesar." Wouldn't that be a great end to the book of Acts? And then Caesar, and then Paul preaching his heart out. Ah,、oh, finally, I get to do this. It's kind of like. The chariots of fire, thing, dun 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 dun, dun. You're running, 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 and then, and then before he reaches the the finishing line, the end. <laughs> no, you want to see him cross the line, right? Actually, as I say this, I've never actually seen the movie. I'm assuming there's there's some kind of、uh, line crossing at the end of the movie, but but you get what I mean. You know, you you're meant to go 
cross the line. Yay! Finishing line. That's the idea. And you meant to see Paul preaching before Caesar, and that's like the big climax. And then, da da da! God's mission to the world. But no, actually, it ends in a very boring way. Paul just carrying on doing the same thing he has always been doing. And I think that's the point of Acts. That therefore, God's mission is still ongoing. It's gone to the ends of the earth. God has fulfilled it in that sense, but it's still going to the ends of the earth. And the way that that's going to happen is by preaching the kingdom, teaching Jesus with all boldness, with all boldness, with all faithfulness. And I think that's that's kind of like the proper end to all this, that we are called to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth, not not just like as that finishing line. But the finishing line is when Jesus comes. Jesus is the one that comes and crosses that line. But until then, we need to keep going. We need to keep preaching. We need to be keep speaking about Jesus. I think that's the kind of idea. What do we see from here? Um, yeah, that. I think that's it. I think that's why that's why so much of this chapter is just showing Paul getting back, kind of like on the proverbial horse. You know, getting back to that position whereby he's just doing the same things that he was doing before he got into this whole like, you know thrown into prison is that he just carrying on doing the normal things of preaching Jesus and getting people to respond and encountering the same response rejection and salvation some skepticism some kind of like you know weird responses as well but also being encouraged himself by seeing fruit of the gospel that he hasn't he hasn't done by the way all these brothers that came to him it wasn't him who preached to them someone else preached the gospel to them but he was so encouraged by that as well this is a shared work that Paul is doing in order to bring this gospel to the ends of the earth. Yeah, and that's that's the book, uh, book's end. This rather an, an anticlimactic end that doesn't say that done, job done, but rather saying this is the job that is to be done by us, to be carried on. Uh, I think there's that saying by Wesley, um, God buries the worker, God carries on the work. You know, Paul would have died eventually, but God carries on the work through others. You know, we will die at one point of time. And until Jesus comes back then, God will still continue on the work. There will need be need for more workers, for more faithfulness, for more preaching of the gospel. And the idea is, will you do this? Will you carry on speaking about Jesus with all boldness, teaching about him, and doing this with boldness and despite of all challenges, to do this with faithfulness and perseverance all the way to the end? Cool. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the faithfulness and the kind of normalness of ministry that we see in Paul, that he's just constantly speaking about you and showing grace to the people around him. By speaking about Jesus, thank you that we see people responding in all kinds of weird and wonderful ways, some in faith, and that's wonderful, but also some in rejection. And I think that prepares us as well for the realities of living and speaking about Jesus in this age. And Lord, please enable us to have some measure of that faithfulness as well, to carry on, to not give up, and to constantly speak and point people to Jesus. Please encourage us as well during times when we are discouraged, when we are tired, by surrounding us with like-minded brothers who will refresh us and speak to us the gospel that we so sorely need ourselves. Lord, thank you that Jesus is with us to the end of the age as we go and as we make disciples and we teach um, everyone to obey all that is given us in the Lord Jesus Christ in this gospel. And thank you in doing this. He is with us to the end of the age. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Bye. Oh, no, bright lights. Oh. Okay, all right. Dun, 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 dun. New books tomorrow. Oh, that'll be cool. Where's, where's the cursor? There. Off button, end stream, end stream, end stream, end stream, end.